welcome back to the Shatter and Breathe podcast, episode 5. Happy November, I hope everyone had a wonderful Halloween and a peaceful month so far. I am Sean, and I'd sincerely like to thank you for being here. I'd like to start by apologizing for missing a week again. I've been having a hard month. October wasn't too kind to me, though the blessings outweigh the hardships. My mental health has been lower than it has in a long time, and... I just haven't been feeling the greatest, and last week I just couldn't focus and wasn't able to give what I feel I need to give to this podcast and to you guys. So I'm brainstorming as best I can anyway to make sure that even if I'm not feeling the greatest, I can get the pod out to you guys every week on time without issue. I don't like missing weeks. It's important to me to have a consistency and a schedule and... I will be working on ways to ensure I stick to it. I thank you all for being here with me and being patient. So, I decided that I would start doing every fifth episode as a casual week, where on the podcast I take a break from the theme structure and just sort of talk about what's going on in the world of Sean. I hope you all be happy with that sort of thing. This week, however, is part two of my Cancer in the Aftermath mini-series, so episode 10 will be the first casual episode, and as far as today, let's get right back into it. Last time, uh, I talked about my bout with cancer I had after I just turned 8. Through God, my family, and so importantly the wonderful people at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, I won my battle and became a survivor. If you're joining me, if you're just joining me this week, I'd appreciate it if you go and give episode 4 a listen for the full context. So, I beat the horrible disease and I went through radiation, chemotherapy, got through jaundice, a collapsed lung. I don't believe I mentioned that, but I think it was caused by one of my two biopsies. My family and I went to Disney World by way of the gracious Ron and Pat from Make-A-Wish. And I started a life as a survivor with what felt like a second chance. For the next 20 years of my life, I lived my life as cancer-free. After the first five years, I felt thankful. After 10, you start to feel safer. 15 years, 20 years. I remember when I realized it had been 20 years, the breath of fresh air I had. When you have cancer, beating it's only the beginning. Along with whatever scars you now bear, the fatigue you feel, you you also get this paranoid side effect. You really don't feel safe for years and years. I didn't truly really feel that sensation of I'm okay, it's not coming back until I was about twenty years old when it was when it had been about twelve years. Twelve years to me felt like a successful milestone way past remission. Fast forward to May 26, 2020. About two weeks prior to that day, I had woken up one morning and the left side of my abdomen was numb. Now I have this habit of sleeping in weird positions, so I actually woken up to a numb side before, but after a while it starts to tingle and, you know, goes away. This time, however, it wasn't going away. An hour passes. 
two hour passes three hours four hours it's not going away so I start to worry obviously now I'm trying to understand what it could be I hadn't been to a doctor in a while because I thankfully had been mostly very healthy I get sick maybe twice a year at most I'm an overall healthy person so I gave it a few days to see if maybe it'll pass I was also worried because this was when the whole world was going through the early period of the big C last year and I also wanted to avoid doctors offices now would be a great time to mention please do not do that if you notice something like that or anything that feels it shouldn't feel that way please see a doctor don't allow something potentially very serious to get worse before you get help as I'm saying this I'm also hoping I take my own advice honestly since this all happened I've been a little better at it however not as much as I maybe should it's a work in progress but I'm, I'm certainly a lot more cautious so as I was saying I gave it a few days honestly it was about a week I let this go on again please don't do that I start really getting nervous like even more nervous than I was honestly it got to the point where I was scared every night when I'd go to sleep that I wasn't waking up my side is numb I don't know why something might be wrong I'm feeling sick like horribly sick which in hindsight I think was my anxiety and nerves through it all I had left breadcrumbs to find a note I have written on my computer to, to my loved ones you know, I'm not ashamed to admit it but I was so scared of what was happening that I wrote out a long note so people could at least have some closure if I didn't wake up it was it was one of the scariest periods of my life which would be followed by another so I call my PCP we do one of those video chat appointments and go over everything that I was feeling where I felt it so on she ended up prescribing me a script for uh, it was methoprednisone. Uh, yeah, methopred. If I can pronounce it right, methoprednisone. I know I'm butchering that, but I can't even remember what she said it might be, like what the possible diagnosis was but I took whatever she prescribed me for almost a week and I say almost a week because six days pass I'm on my next to last pill to take I had one more to take the next day and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm just not feeling right nothing has improved at all I'm taking these meds for a shot in the dark my car wasn't running at the time so if I went to the ER my mom would have to take me and with the big C going on I knew she'd have to wait out in the car and I felt guilty about that so I was just ignoring it all I think I think a lot of us can relate to the idea that we think to ourselves it could be nothing it's probably nothing and that can be a very dangerous theory of treated more of a certainty without knowing for sure so it's about five o'clock or so that day and I'm just I just felt off something wasn't right there was just this looming feeling that I need to be looked at even if you're stubborn or you're 
resistant to see a doctor or anything like that. You know what I mean when I say when your body is telling you something isn't right, something isn't right, and you need to see somebody. So I worked up to convincing needed to ask my mother to take me to the ER. The hesitation wasn't towards her. She'd do anything for me and my sister. Both our parents would. The hesitation was towards me and my not wanting to make her wait out in the car for who knows how long, especially knowing she'll be worrying the entire time. I work up the goal to ask her, though, and we go over. I'm in the room, sitting there while everything's going through my head. I'm thinking, could I be becoming diabetic? Is that why I'm numb? Could it be some sort of skin disease? Could I be having some sort of gas issue? Like, I'm honestly thinking about all these possibilities, trying to be optimistic, hoping maybe it was something I could get better from by taking meds for a few weeks. I did not expect for one moment what they would actually tell me. I had blood work done and I had an x-ray done. After waiting for a while, the nurse, whose name was Bridget, came back into my room and basically told me, okay, so we looked over your scans and we found two masses. There's a mass on your right testicle and there's a mass under your left lung. Now, to take you through my process a bit, um, I knew about the mass on my testicle. I'll tell you now that that it was not cancerous. It ended up being a hydrocele, which I won't get into too deeply on this one, but next week we will. Before I continue, though, any men who are listening, please once in a while check your goodie bags and make sure you don't have any rocks in there lumps size changes odd pains strains anything be aware and observant please I may use like joking terms but I'm so serious please make sure you're okay so I knew about that one but when she told me there was a mass under my under my lung my heart sank I could feel the blood in my face flush into my feet. And then she says, and she was very sweet and had a wonderful bedside manner, she said, So we're waiting to hear from the oncologist right now as we don't diagnose anything that's potentially cancerous in the ER. So we're going to get ahead and admit you overnight so he can look over what we found and get a chance to talk to you himself in the morning. When I heard that, um, specifically hearing that word I can't properly describe the feeling honestly when I talk about it the the only example I could use was the old saying that it felt like I just saw a ghost my world became absolutely silent for a moment I was then flooded with emotion. I was crying at the thought of how how I could possibly tell my family this, especially my mother sitting out in the car. That's something that truly broke my heart. Um, for years, for years, I had felt guilt 
from my family having to go through what they went through. My mom, my dad, my sister, my entire family. Now here I am, knowing not only that I may have cancer, but how am I going to tell my mom? How am I going to let my dad and my sister know I may have cancer again? After that, I couldn't help but question, how could I possibly... How could I possibly, after 21 years being cancer-free, or so I thought, to be getting told this type of news? I ended up calling my mom when I was able to. I worked up the ability and told her they found two masses and that I would be staying the night. My mom... My mom is one of the strongest people I know. She truly is. She kept reassuring me, she kept being optimistic, and telling me it's going to be okay. I'm usually the person who helps others during hard times and and being the the reasonable optimistic positive one but <clears throat> at this moment I was completely broken and she helped she helped give me the strength I needed to get through what was happening <clears throat> before she went home she actually knocked on the side door or something because she was able to come into the room I was in the the woman who answered the door I could hear my mom asking her to see me I could hear her through the wall saying he just got told some bad news and within a few moments she came through the door and touched my knee and let out a sigh and said well one day at a time bud I held her tight for a while and cried while she just patted my back and held me We talked for a bit before she went home. I uh, I texted her to make sure she made it home okay. Uh, we were texting back and forth the whole time while I was inside, and I just looked at it. And from about 5:45 p.m. to 8:58 was our message span from then. That's about how long I was in the uh, ER for this. <clears throat> so my mom leaves and. Now I'm being transitioned from the ER to the third floor and put in my room. As I'm seeing people on my way to my room, I'm seeing the looks again. Um, like uh, episode four, like I explained the looks that you see. Uh, I see the looks again. The the looks you get when a nurse or a transport who sees your chart or has been told what's happening you see this mixture of heartfelt pity as well as reflection of themselves and how they see their own health I think most of us do that when we hear sad news of another's health we feel sorrow and helplessness while simultaneously taking a moment to appreciate our own health I know I do 
life can change so quickly so when you're able to appreciate the fact that it's the day you're feeling well you should take it those looks to me are so caring but also so haunting so I get up to my room after getting admitted I got to meet nurse Jane everyone's wearing a mask because of the sea precautions but her eyes were so warm honestly from the moment I met her I could feel her comfort concern worry empathy she was just a major part in helping me get through the night after we went over everything as far as the medical conversation we we talk about life music faith had been very worked up mentally I was low and nervous but once I got into my room and had started to calm down and find myself again with thinking positive and trying to look forward and and Jane helped me and, and Jane helped that become a little easier she was just so amazing to talk to you know you're laying in a hospital bed you've just been told news nobody wants to get your mind's going a thousand miles miles an hour and potential verdicts on what's happening and you're just beside yourself having somebody there with me in person somebody who not only cares but actually will sit and listen and back and forth with you can make a difference in a rough night being still rough but comforting I really appreciate her being there for me and I truly hope she realizes how thankful I am for how she made me feel. I was still ping-ponging back and forth though from calm to anxious. I had been offered um I can't remember exactly what medicine it was but it was a a calming pill like a nerve pill or whatever to help calm my nerves and at first I refused it but I did end up eventually taking a third of one it relaxed me I was I was still aware of everything but it was like my anxiety was just shut down so that was nice the only time I ever feel zero anxiety is when I'm drinking so this was an interesting feeling it was a sensation of I know what they told me I know it could possibly be cancer and I just need to take it one day at a time like my mother says. I was up for a while for obvious reasons. I couldn't sleep. And I, I also just really enjoyed talking to Jane because of how sweet she is and just made everything so, so much easier than it was. I'd be laying in bed and just looking out the window into the night. I'd be playing music on my phone and just trying to get lost for a bit. I left social media because I didn't have the words for anybody. This is all fresh. Nobody outside of my parents and sister know where I'm at or what I've been told, and it wasn't possible to really engage with anybody online with how my mind was. Whenever Jane would check on me, we'd talk for a little bit. She'd ask, You're not sleeping yet? Through the night, there'd be also be nurses coming in to do blood work and temperature checks. Eventually, I did fall asleep, though.
When I woke up the next morning, it was hard. I woke up and started shaking and crying a little. Not sobbing, but my eyes were watering. I, I think in a combination with next day consciousness and having the, the taking the calming medicine, it just all, it, it all hit me again at once. Like it felt as if I got the bad news twice. I, I feel as if the pill made it seem like it had all been a dream the next morning. I woke up with the confusion of it being a nightmare, but like rainfall on a broken glass window, the reality crawled down and I knew it was real. I'm in the hospital because I may have cancer. I seen the time and I think it was sometime after 7 a.m. and I knew Jane would have would have had to have left by now. So I was sad there too, but then I looked at my chart on the wall and she left a little take care Sean on the whiteboard chart with a smiley face in her name. So that made me smile. So through the morning, there's the nurse checking on me. I can't remember if there was an x-ray that morning, but anyway, I eventually get to meet the oncologist. He comes in, so polite and very attentive. I could tell right away that he was a genuine guy. He was very forward and honest as well as empathetic and caring. Not to mention very professional and confident with his ability and knowledge. He introduced himself to me and basically went over the early stages of what was happening. He retouched on the masses they found and explained that they're checking cancer markers through the blood work and that they're going to keep an eye on the masses until we figure out what they are. He would go over with me the what ifs and how it could be cancer or how it could not be. He's a doctor who believes in the facts as well as the power of optimism through journey. I think that's one of the reasons I like him so much. He's professional and intelligent while having incredible bedside manner and empathy. He's a big believer of positive outlooks, awareness, and to do what we have to, not to stress or worry too much. He's a firm believer of stress causes cancer, and how it's healthy to face everything with a positive drive as best we can, and that's also how I see things too. So there's a lot of like-mindedness with him, and I think that helps a lot with doctor-patient relationships. So, we go over the plan, which is to keep an eye on the blood work, keep an eye on the masses, and work through the description of what I'm feeling and how I'm feeling until we figure out what exactly these masses are. Eventually, as I mentioned earlier, the diagnosis for my testicle came back. I think it was maybe the next day that it was a hydrocele. So, though I had a strong feeling that that wasn't cancer, as it had been there for a long time, but until you know, you don't know, you know? <laughs> until you know, you don't know, you know? So, so initially, I'm laying in a hospital bed with the possibility I could be diagnosed with cancer in two areas. One of these possibilities is eliminated, though the PA at the urologist's office I I went to 
quadrupled, quintupled, check that too. She's pretty awesome and doing everything in her power to make sure there's no surprises there with my history. So that diagnosis led me to finding a urologist, as I just mentioned, and going through that process over the next week or so. Like I said, I'll go over this specifically and in more detail next week, so make sure you come back for that if you're interested. I do highly recommend all the men listening do come back, as it's a pretty important message for you guys. It'll be for everyone, but the men will really benefit from it, so I hope you are all back for that. The initial theory of what was under my lung was a schwannoma. A schwannoma is a tumor that's considered rare, which forms in the nervous system. As the mass was found to be on a nerve, it was suspected to be the case, as it would make sense and explain the numbness. The cancer markers were coming back clean. There was no indication of cancer found, which further made it seem as if that's what we were dealing with. Schwannoma are more often than not benign, so so that becomes the game plan, but to be sure I had to get a biopsy done of the mass. Now this was told this was told to me on the fourth day. I believe I was there for five, if I'm not mistaken. I could have gone home that evening, but if I went home and went to the hospital the next day to have it done, I would have had to get a C test. And I basically said, screw that, and just took another night. I wasn't about the brain massage. I had been through enough. So the next day, I'm taken by ambulance to the other hospital, where they do this sort of thing every day, multiple times a day. The ambulance ride was nice, actually. I was in the space of naturality during this time period. I wasn't on my phone much, I wasn't watching a lot of TV, I spent most of my time just living. You're, you're given such a hard dose of reality and you feel the echoes of mortality whispering in your ear. You really start to find an appreciation for life you take for granted each day. So the ambulance ride was actually nice, the paramedics were kind and friendly. The hard part was when they were wheeling me around on the gurney, and I'll tell you why. I do apologize for my voice as well. <clears throat> I'm laying there, and I'm being wheeled around, and I'm watching all the interactions. After so long, people form a familiarity with, with others. So I'd watch them say hi to some, and have a quick back and forth with others along the way, and I'm laying there realizing my situation and analyzing the comparison. My thought process is I'm possibly going to be in a long battle with the disease that has one purpose. My life may be changing completely. Honestly it was going to anyway but depending on the findings it would be very different levels of extreme. I can't help but just think about these people, these wonderful people it's just another day for them. Now yes, we never know what somebody is dealing with, so I'm not assuming that they have no problems as we all do. Just at face value with my perception, I'm laying in a gurney being transferred hospital to hospital for a biopsy to determine how rough these next few months, possibly years, will be. These people are just doing their jobs, seemingly healthy, and will go home after and have a completely normal day. Again, they may be dealing with stuff worse than I am. I don't know. 
but it's just this face value perception as I was having a weak moment where my mind's just processing all of this. It was never in a way of why is this happening to me and not them. I, it was honestly as simple as just taking the moment in its surface level and thinking to myself how unpredictable life is because before all this went down, I was just having normal days. I was just living life completely normal and then boom. So I'm watching all this, honestly happy that they were on the side of normalcy compared to my situation and once the air hit me I felt better. The ride was nice. I was watching out the window the whole time while I talked to the medic in the back with me. I get to the hospital, I'm put into where they do these sorts of procedures. I met this really sweet woman who was getting me set up and everything. She was so nice. We were joking back and forth and everything. There was another guy, a nurse, who was checking up on me. Just super great people. And he made sure to call my mom for me to keep her updated as it was taking a lot longer than expected for me to get back there. And I knew she'd be getting nervous and worked up as it's not really a long procedure. And I'm there for like two hours, so I made sure she was updated and kept in the loop so she didn't think something happened. So it came time for me to go back. The surgeon who was doing the biopsy was direct. He wasn't exactly friendly, but he wasn't rude either. He was just direct, is the best way I can put it. He explained to me that there's a 25% chance of my lung collapsing because of the area. If that were to happen, they would have to insert a tube into my chest to, well, do whatever that's supposed to do. I really stopped listening after that point because I was not told of this risk beforehand. Like, I'm I'm finding this out moments before I have it done. So at this point, I'm not doing too well in the mental department. But it has to be done. So I swallow my terror and anxiety and get prepped for it. I have to lay on my stomach because they have to go through the back. They rub this local anesthetic on the area they'll have to go through, which is supposed to numb it. Now I'll tell you. Almost every doctor will tell you that a biopsy is oftentimes painless. My oncologist told me it's not too bad. The floor doctor told me it's not bad. They numb you. They told me in the room before I went back it's not bad once they numb you. Listen. I don't... I don't really want to plant a seed in anybody's mind on the chance somebody listening may need one someday. But, since they're mostly painless, I will because other people apparently have much better experiences. For me, though, this was the most painful thing I ever endured. I don't know if it was because the anesthetic had no time to work, because they applied it and then did it within the next 40 seconds or so, if that. But, good lord, a biopsy is basically them inserting a needle to get a sample of what they're looking at. Well, that's exactly what it felt like. I felt like I had just gotten stabbed through my back into my ribs and I was just floored by it. I was gripping the railing above my head on the table and the railing was shaking from how hard I was holding on to it. 
I don't know why it hurt so bad. Perhaps the anesthetic didn't work fast enough, but honestly, if if it did work, then I don't want to think about how bad it would have been if it hadn't. I really don't know what happened there. So, the sample's taken. Violently taken. They took an x-ray before it happened, and then they took an x-ray after to keep an eye on the lungs, and they told me that there was no issue or collapse, but... Sometimes it can collapse even after the procedure is done, so I laid there for about two more hours to make sure it was all fine, which then they took another x-ray before getting the okay. All was fine. I was taken back to the hospital I was at, and later that evening I was sent home. At this point I'm home, able to sleep in my own bed, and around my family and my friends, a normal setting a normal routine but my mind is still just everywhere I'm basically just waiting to see my oncologist again to be told what it is for certain and what the next steps will be it sort of feels like you're a ticking time bomb the idea that you could have cancer is a feeling you can't really understand until you go through it but that's one reason I want to tell my story to give insight on what people go through in order to understand it better, hopefully without having to do so firsthand. I certainly hope everyone listening never has to. If you have before, you're strong, and I pray you never have to again. If you're currently in that situation, you're strong, you're a fighter, you're going to overcome those odds that are trying to convince you otherwise, and when you defeat it, I pray you never have to fight like that again. You are a gift to this world, and we don't let the world take those gifts back very easy. So I think maybe a week passes by. I honestly don't remember for sure, but I got the appointment from my oncologist, and my mom and I go and see him. Walking into the waiting room, I got sick to my stomach a little bit. Not only am I about to find out if I have cancer, but the posters on the wall, the St. Jude commercial on the TV. God bless St. Jude, too, by the way. They do some incredible things for kids. It really just felt like I walked into a purgatory nightmare from my past. I'm wearing a mask because of the big sea precautions. My glasses are steaming up. I was so worked up, I ended up giving myself a fever in the room after I was sent back. Thankfully, I was allowed to take my mask off and then got me some ice water, which after a couple minutes brought the fever down once I got something to drink and was able to breathe freely. So we're sitting in the exam room, and after a while he comes in. He comes in and shuts the door, and the first thing he says is, Hello. Good news. And I felt this wave of relief hit as he tells me that the diagnosis is a benign schwannoma. Now, for those paying attention, which would be all of you, as to why would you still be listening if you weren't? Perhaps my voice just calms you, which I highly doubt as it only stresses me out, but if it does, I'm flattered. However, for those of you wondering why something doesn't add up, I'm getting there. So, I'm told it's benign, and that of course I'll need surgery to remove 
so he recommends a surgeon to Shadyside, a hospital in Pittsburgh. A highly respected and well-known surgeon at Hillman Cancer Center there. And is somebody he would recommend to his own family or would go to himself. So that reassured me a lot. So he gives us the information for them and gets a hold of them so we eventually get in touch and get things in motion. Now I need to run things back some because I forgot to mention something. I won't take too long on this as I don't want to lose our place in the timeline of events, but after I got home, after my stay at the hospital, I called my doctor down at Children's. I mentioned last time my doctor down there was Dr. Patton, but she had moved at one point to a hospital in Ohio, so I got a new doctor on my case, handpicked by my mom, who loved her bedside manner so much that, that when they asked if they had anyone in mind, she pointed out Dr. Tursak, who then took over for Dr. Patton. Dr. Tursak was, and technically still is, my doctor at Children's. And I say technically because this is how wonderful Children's Hospital is. After I got sent home, knowing I may possibly have cancer again, one of the first things I wanted to do was call down and talk to her. So we get a hold of her and gave her a summary, basically, of what was happening. And she set up an appointment to see her and get some tests done at Children's. I was just hoping to talk to her, to keep her updated and perhaps be reassured by her or recommend somebody or something, but she made it to where I could actually come to see her at the hospital and be looked at. Apparently, it isn't too uncommon for patients of children's to return even after they've aged out if something happens to go wrong. So she started to take an active involvement in my situation and managed to help a lot with getting history and treatment records to my new oncologist as well as the doctor who would be doing my surgery as her and him were in the same network. So I just wanted to mention quickly how much they take serious their mission and how much they care about their patients. It's really incredible and I'm so grateful for Dr. Tursak taking such an interest in getting me back to healthy even after so many years. Also, I'm making it a point not to name my current doctors and specialists just because of privacy reasons as they're current and relatively local, but I'll mention the names of doctors in Pittsburgh who I'm not a full patient of currently, so that's why I haven't referred to my current doctors by name, even though I'd love to give them specific credit as well, just if anybody was wondering why I was being more vague with some than others. Back to the timeline though, so an appointment is set up to meet him, the surgeon who will be doing my surgery. The hydrocelectomy was done first, so there were months between the diagnosis and the lung surgery. Also two of my best friends got married in October to each other, so I wanted to make sure my hydrocelectomy was far enough in advance before that and that my lung surgery was after it, so that all worked out. I met him. He was really nice, very polite, and very open to any questions I had, which were many. He does this sort of thing, he does this sort of surgery all the time. He and another doctor go in using a small incision and a robot. Yes, I was operated on by a robot, and I don't care, that is something I'm proud of. 
my oncologist even told me he's so good at what he does and he is one of the least invasive surgeons there is he will leave a he will leave the smallest scars possible and he was absolutely right too I had three small scars on my side from where he went in to break up and remove the tumor it was wild because the scar from when I had the Wilms tumor removed went completely across my stomach so I was in awe but yes I met him we got it set up a month passes I had my hydrocelectomy in July and then a few months later in October I had my lung surgery to remove the tumor The experience at Shadyside was interesting. Very nice people, though. My my first day there, I went in. Had to be there, I think, at 7 or 6 a.m. Can't remember which. I think it was 6, though. Might have even been 5. I can't remember. It was so early. I can't remember which. I'm there with my folks. They drove me down, and we went in and tracked down where I'm supposed to be. We're lost as hell. And a sweet woman at the front desk helped us figure out how to get where we're supposed to go. On the way there, another sweet woman who was coming from the opposite direction asked us where we were heading, and so we told her and she went out of her way to walk us to the waiting room. So like I said, very nice people there. The people at the waiting room weren't as friendly, but they weren't rude either. You could just tell they were maybe tired or just didn't want to be there. But there was one or two uplifted ones there. So I get checked in and we sit and wait. Talking and just passing the time until I go back. Times like that are special. We get so lost in day-to-day -day normality. When you're sitting in a hospital waiting room though, it's vulnerable, raw, and just helps with a lot of things. Eventually they call me back and get me prepped. I strip and put my gown on, putting all my stuff in the big see-through bag. I get into the bed and I get blood taken, I get my port in, I got set up with a nerve block which was connected to me. I answered all the questions they asked, I talked to multiple people, I talked to the anesthesiologist, and he explains it and talks about the risk factor and its effectiveness and just routine stuff. Everyone at this stage was friendly as well. My mom came back to see me for a few minutes before I went back, and then she went back out with my dad while I got sent to the OR. I get in, and everybody's in a nice mood, asking me how I am and all that. They start hooking my port up to the IV and making sure everything's where it should be. Now, this will be different for everyone, I think. Um, I can't speak for everyone, only me but any time I've been put under anesthesia. The moments beforehand are a mix of worry, but absolutely peaceful. It's so strange because there is a risk when you're being put under. That's just the, that's just the reality. There's always risk. So you're going into this with the mindset that I don't like saying it because it may seem melodramatic, but it's honest. You go, you go in knowing that it's possible you may not wake up. That's with any surgery where you're put to sleep for it. 
then when you add the fact that this is a lung surgery, I'm laying there having been thinking about it for all these months and it's come time to happen and I'm laying there confident it's going to go well, but also understanding it may not. I'm a man of faith, I believe in God, and I trust Him with all things. I trust Him more than I fear anything. I spent months working on letting people I love know I love them. Trying to be the best I could be for those I love, including myself. So while I'm laying there waiting for this mask, I'm going, all, I'm going over all this in my head, and they put the mask on me and I take the deepest breath I can. I just release everything I have at that moment and just take in the anesthesia. While you're breathing it in, they're talking with each other and they're talking to you. How are you feeling, Sean? I nod yes to answer that I'm okay. You honestly just feel this sense of peace. My head's laying back on the pillow. The blanket they have on me is a little weighted, so that's calming. You feel the opposite of lonely because there's people all around. You feel loved. You feel cared for. And you're laying there slowly drifting. And it's a small moment of bliss. And then you're out. From what I was told about the surgery and the tumor itself, my surgeon believes the tumor had actually been there for quite some time. It completely corrupted one of my nerves, and it pushed through my ribs, deforming one of them, and it also pushed against the underside of my lung. They completely removed the nerve that it was wrapped around because there's not much you can do at that point. So to make sure he got as much as he could, he scraped tissue from the wall and he got as much as he possibly could without causing any harm or potential new issues. Like he went after every trace of anything left behind there that he could. Everything I heard about him was true and the way he explained what he did when I went back for my checkup was just impressive and I'm so thankful to have been sent to him. So the surgery goes great. I slowly start to wake up. They're checking monitors, my vitals, and checking on me and asking how I am. My left arm is killing me. It's in a lot of pain. I was having shoulder strain beforehand, and I wasn't aware that during surgery they would have my arm raised above my head so they could go in through my side. So my shoulder is hurting like crazy. It was hurting to breathe. My mouth is dry, and I'm just miserable. But I'm awake, and they're telling me that the surgery went perfectly. It's all over, Sean. You're out of surgery. You went wonderfully, and now we're just got to get you feeling better. They called my mom back, and once I was talking more and more alert, so I saw her for a couple minutes, talking to her. It may have been once I got up to the room, if I remember right. I think she followed them while they took me up and got me situated. So I'm laying in my bed, and we're talking... And then she and my dad head home since I was staying at least one night to be monitored. I'm still hooked up with my nerve block. I have a catheter and I also have a chest tube running through my side. 
I'm connected to an IV and I have oxygen on and so begins my stay at Shadyside. The nurses were very nice and very helpful. The key objective for me was to get my breathing right, get my vitals right, and my strength up. Ended up staying there for full ended up staying there for four full days and nights, and for the most of the fifth day, going home that evening. My days consisted of medication for the pain, which honestly the I was most bothered by my shoulder. I was sore and aching, my chest hurt from breathing. I found out that my lung had actually partially collapsed. It was a risk that they told me beforehand, which when I met them the first time as well it was right before the surgery. So I knew there was a risk of that happening. I don't know if it was a collapse from surgery or a controlled collapse to better do the surgery, but it had collapsed partially and that's what the discomfort was for the breathing. I was getting blood work every morning, my vitals are taken a few times a day. Because of my lungs I had to have an x-ray every morning. I would get a blood thinner shot in my arm twice a day. I was taking Tylenol for the pain. When I got too bad I was given an oxycodone. Eventually I was given tramadol which actually helped better than the oxy. I was using a spirometer every hour I think. Yeah, they had yeah, they had me do it every hour. Ten breaths each time. Once day once day three hit, I was doing it every half hour with fifteen breaths each time. If I didn't hit my goal above the minimum, I wouldn't count it and would do it again, so sometimes it was like twenty times per session. I was walking the halls about three times a day with a nurse or one of their physical therapists. On day three, I started walking around my room as well so I could move at my own pace and without a mask on, and that really started to help me out. So that was basically my daily schedule. As far as my progress, later the first day is when they were able to take me off the oxygen because my numbers were getting manageable without it. I'd use it occasionally throughout the rest of my stay if needed to, which was mostly after I'd been taken for a walk around the floor. The third day is when things got a lot better. They took out my chest tube, which was an interesting feeling. I thought the nose was bad back then. Imagine having a tube pulled out of your ribs. <laughs> then the fun kept rolling when I got my catheter removed. Now there's a feeling you can never be ready for. There's a funny story with that one, but I'm not I'm just gonna move on. Maybe another time if enough people want to hear it. <laughs> this podcast is... It is classified as explicit, so I could explain it in all its glory, but perhaps another time. They also disconnect me from all the fluids I was on, and lastly that evening they removed my nerve block, so I'm completely disconnected. I just have the ports in my hand still. So that night was going well until I ended up waking up to a fever. It was only 100.2, but for precautionary reasons, that is what caused me to have to stay another day. My surgeon came in and spoke to me and said he felt I was alright, but concerned of the possibility of pneumonia maybe sneaking in, so I stayed, so I stayed under his recommendation. 
I was bummed the entire day. Stressing over everything because now I didn't want to sleep because I didn't want to wake up to another fever. Thankfully, it never went back into the hundreds. So during the night, so during night four, I'm feeling good with the walking that I did that day. I was happy with where this barometer was at. I felt so improved that I decided to try for a fourth walk. Well, when I took that. I hadn't taken pain meds in a while. I was hurting, but I wanted to take an oxycodone before bed because it made me tired. So that pain, combined with the fact I was talking, and I had an unexpected nap not long before I went on the walk, which meant I hadn't prepared for the walk like I was previously doing, along with stressing over the fact of a possible unexpected fever again, I go on the walk and I start feeling out of breath about a quarter of the way into it. Mind you, the last walk I took was the longest walk I made and was feeling the best I had afterwards so far. However, of course, I had to cut the walk short, had to get oxygen, and of course they had to report it. At this point, I'm just frustrated at myself for even doing the extra walk, knowing it could have just screwed me out of going home the next night. Morning of the fifth day, I was hitting the spirometer hard, doing well too. Walked and did really well. The doctor, my surgeon, comes in. Hello, Mr. Hart, how are you feeling? Heard you had a bit of a hard time last night in a walk. Also saw your heart rate went up very high and it's just really concerning me. I think just to be safe, I'm going to have you get an EKG and send you down for a CT scan just to make sure there's no blood clot or something blocking anything in your chest. To which I reply, if I get the testing done today, does that mean I have to stay another day? And he tells me, well, the numbers were really concerning. I'm anxious to help you get home too, but I wouldn't feel comfortable sending you home without getting these tests done. If you like, we can do the test and I can come talk to you in the afternoon. How's that sound? And I was more than willing to agree, because better safe than sorry with that sort of thing. I was still hesitant on going home yesterday with the potential of something being wrong, so I prayed over it. I asked God to please show me a sign if I'm making the right choice here, with wanting to go home. So I was begging. Not only did God listen, as he always does, he gave me a few signs. Sign 1. I got my room switched. My nurse had me move from a double room to my own, which was such a nicer room. I had a beautiful view, more room to do my walks, and then this wonderful woman walked in with an EKG machine. She was obviously having a bit of a rough morning, but was nothing but sweet to me. I forgot that I did have my heart monitor on day 3. My nurse took off the monitor from my finger chest and stomach and besides my ports I was completely without like I would be at home the lady places the stickers on me for the test and then she does the EKG she does all this she undoes all the stickers she had previously just put on and out of my entire five day stay she's the first person to say God bless you to me 
I could tell she was tired. She had possibly had a rough day. But she was polite, helpful, and left me with a God bless you. Sign 2 After that, this sweet woman came in and gave me a new IV port for the CT scan, because both ports in my hands weren't going to do. They weren't as wide, and they had been there since I got there Thursday morning. My hands were aching from them being in, and I was like, maybe I can get one of these out. Nope. She gives me the new port in my left arm, where now I couldn't even rest my arm right without it hurting. So now I have three IV ports when I was already stressed with the two. I was so upset with it, I was just thinking in my head, I have to get out of here. Then the sweet woman was talking to me about a biopsy she had done. Because the topic came up while I was comparing the pain between my biopsy and getting the chest tube out. Biopsy still wins, by the way, way worse. And she had mentioned to me that a doctor once assumed a lump in her jaw was something without even doing a scan. He told her she'll need a biopsy to make sure. Before she even got the results from the biopsy, they found out and admitted that it was something that was curable with meds, and she never really needed the biopsy. She went through the pain for nothing, because the news was so sudden and had her so scared. She told me, tell your friends, all of them, never get a biopsy without getting a CT scan first at least which is also telling me sometimes you shouldn't always go with what the doctor recommends. Sign 3 I get taken down to radiology for my CT scan. The lady who took me down was as sweet as can be. Such an absolute sweetheart. Talking away, tired but so positive. She dropped me off and inside the waiting room they're running out of room. The CT, the CT department was getting overbooked. There were beds and wheelchairs coming in still. People at the desk were overwhelmed, struggling. I'm sitting in a wheelchair in my mask. In the room is yellow-orange tint. I'm feeling off the energy. I'm feeding off the energy of the other patients, the workers, my own. The rooms. The room's air had me feeling like I, like I was overheating. I was having a panic attack, nauseous, and on the verge of crying. I honestly felt like I was sitting in hell. I'm not exaggerating either, I'm not being dramatic. It was like I was sitting in my own personal hell, and that's when I consciously said to myself, I'm getting out of here today. And prayed to God, thanking Him for all He does for me. After about 45-60 minute wait, I went back to the CD scan, got it done, some of the dye puffed my arm up, burned a bit, but it went through fine, got the images taken and went back up to my room. I'm sitting in my room, trying to calm down from the experience and just praying that there's no blood clotting and that the tests come back fine. Time goes super slow. My nurse comes in and we just talk for a bit. 
she could tell I was having a hard time, so it was nice that she was just taking the time to help me come down without actually saying it. Eventually, doctor comes in. Hello there, Mr. Hart. Test came back good. There's no clotting, but I'm still a bit concerned with the heart rate last night. I'm feeling this pit in my stomach as he says this. Then he pauses for a bit and says, Are you still set on going home tonight? I looked at him and nodded and told him, Yeah. To which he looked back at somebody else who was in his department who came in with him and said, Let's cut him loose. He looks back at me and says, Well, you're free to go, sir. Besides those couple of things that happened, you've been proving very well. Just promise me, if you get a fever or are doing anything other than improving, you call my office, okay? To which I agreed and shook his hand, thanking him for all he did. I cried a little after he left my room and just soaked it up a bit, breathing getting better, having heard the news, and then a nurse came in, went over a bit of the discharge information and looked at my hands and said, let's get those out of you. The relief I felt. I felt so bad for my sister and parents for how late it was, but as God does with his timing, I would have had to wait if I got the news sooner anyway, because my sister would have still been working. And instead of getting the news when I wanted it, where I'd have had to wait for hours, I got the news and only had to wait about two, which included the drive time during that time of day. On the way out to the car, I was talking to Transport, and I was telling him about praying over the decision, and I said, I've learned when I go against my gut, I regret it. And all he said was, Amen. I'll say it to the end of my days and beyond. God is so good. Even when times are hard, all you have to do is talk to Him. Trust Him. If you're not a person of faith, I'm not going to knock you for it or think less of you or preach to you. From my experience, though, and what I've seen and felt through life, Nobody can convince me otherwise, and I'm always open to listen to whatever they have to say about it. So that was my experience at Shadyside. The surgery went very well. He removed every bit of the tumor. And he removed as much of the tissue it was against as he could. To further make sure I gotten... To further make sure... It was all gone. I got in contact with another Hillman's Cancer Center to go through radiotherapy and to make sure that if there is even a glimmer of anything left, that it was taken care of and gone. So fast forwarding a bit, I can't remember how long after my surgery I saw my oncologist, but it wasn't too long. I think it was about a week and a half. And I'm in his office, having my mom with me. He comes in and he says hello and asks how I'm feeling and all that. He then asked me, so did they tell you anything about the tumor that was removed? I said, not really. I was just told what he did and how he did it and things like that. 
I could see a bit of heaviness in him that was different. I could see it when he asked, but then it was really a very apparent when he asked me and I answered him. He sat in the stool and told me that after they removed the tumor and sent it to be analyzed, it ended up being diagnosed as a malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumor, which is a cancer of the cells that form the sheath or cover of the peripheral nerves, the nerves outside the central nervous system. He basically informed me that what I, what was believed to have been benign, what I was told it was and believed it was, was actually cancerous. It's such an odd feeling being told after the fact that you had cancer. I didn't know how to process that, but after he told me that, I asked him to be clear. So, so I did actually have cancer. I asked him. To which he confirmed that, and I just lost it tears exploded from my eyes and I'm just gasping my mom gave me a, my mom came and gave me a big hug and held on to me till I gathered myself calmed down and wiped my eyes while I just tried to understand everything the reason I cried so heavily is because it was just so I knew the cancer was gone I'm cancer free at this point again but being told that this entire time what I had was cancerous was something I just wasn't ready for. It's almost like if you were driving and a bad accident happened to the car that's right behind you. That's the best way I can try to explain it. When you're given the news you have cancer, even as a kid you know something is wrong. And it's going to be a process and fight to get through it and get better when you're given the news that you had cancer while you no longer have it a week or so after having it removed at that I was just overwhelmed and thankful and heartbroken and relieved that it was gone he explained how the way it looked and the way it was acting was so similar to Wishwanoma but the cancer was deep within the encapsulation of the tumor I could tell he was bothered by it too, it was just one of those things where it happened how it happened. Clean markers, clean biopsy, scans and exams. Sometimes things just go sideways and there's really nobody at fault. I looked at it a certain way though. Knowing how my mind works, knowing how my nerves are and how my anxiety will treat me. I can't help but imagine how much worse it would have been if those four or so months waiting to get my surgery, if I would have known it was cancerous. Even if it would have been scheduled closer, who knows what would have happened. I would have been stressed, worried, nervous, paranoid, worse than normal than I already was, which never helps anybody. I know from experience how much that can make you sick, and dealing with that, that was the last thing I needed. 
So I honestly think that having not known until after it was already gone was a blessing. It can all be up for interpretation, but that's how I saw it and how I still see it. After everything settled, I went to the other Hillman Cancer Center and got all set for my radiation. That center is wonderful as well. I'm so thankful to have dealt with so many wonderful people through this entire process. It really does make such a difference. Between December and January, I did 30 days of radiation. It was every Monday through Friday except Christmas at 9, at 9 a.m. It wasn't a bad experience. As I said, everyone there was kind and welcoming. The treatment was just me laying there, arms over my head, and getting circled by a big machine. I got three little dots tattooed on me so they could lay me down the exact same way each time so the machine could hit the same spot every single time. They played music for me. The room itself was a nice soft candy blue lighted room with a glass section of ceiling with a sky backdrop and colorful trees hanging over it. It was very peaceful and relaxing which is highly welcomed going through things like that. Once I completed that, I was breathing a bit easier. The risk of my tumor coming back locally was about 33% by statistics, but with radiation that drops down to I believe 17% if I remember right. So I was just trying my best to get back to a relatively normal life. I just wanted to be okay feeling better and my family to be more at ease as well. I had an amazing support system with my family, my friends, medical staff, and just I'm so blessed to have had all that with me. I still see my oncologist every few months, keeping an eye on me closely to make sure that things are good. I check up with my radiation doctor about every nine months. My side is still numb, but about two or three months ago it started to get more feeling, so that's finally starting to do something. I was told it could take a while. I'm... I'm just at a point where I'm just trying to be happy and healthy. Last year took out Last year took a lot out of me, but it also, in other areas, in other ways, revitalized me. And this has gone longer than I expected. <laughs> I didn't think it would be longer than part one, but I guess I misjudged. That's okay though, because it's something I felt needed to get out there. And if you're still here with me, then I don't think you've minded much either. I was on the phone with an amazing friend of mine, and I was telling her that these two episodes were really taking a lot out of me while I was writing them. Which it was. This this was the deepest I've dove this was the deepest I've dove into that period of myself in a long time. When I answer questions at doctors' offices and hospitals and 
and all that. It's basically autopilot for me. Sitting down, though, taking myself back into that place when I was eight really took a toll on me. She said, there comes a point where is it even worth it if you're feeling like that? And I said without hesitation, it is. It is worth it. And I could feel her understand that, and she just softly said, okay, then you got this. It reminded me of something I read on Facebook, a quote post that said, when you can tell your story without crying, that's when you know you've healed. That touched me so strongly. I, I cry when I start to talk about it for too long. It's affected me to the point I get choked up speaking on anything that's wrong, and I don't think the two are unrelated. During parts of this, I got choked up. If I feel this way, there has to be others feeling this way, too. And that's a big part of why I decided to do this. This podcast is about helping myself, working through my mind, and helping others who are facing the same struggle. I don't regret the life I have or the life I've lived. I'm happy to be me. I'm going to have a episode on depression, and I'm going to talk about how I had severe, severe survivor's guilt. That was a big part of my depression. The thought process I had with that was... I was so mad because there are wonderful people who have lost their battle with cancer. Meanwhile, I'm still here. I struggled for a while with that. Sometimes part of the aftermath... Well... To be honest, I'm confident that it's more so often than it's not, just not talked about as much. Part of the aftermath of being a cancer survivor is the emotional toll. Your body is weakened. Your immune system is weakened. You have these scars on your body from either surgery or the IV ports or both. It takes so long sometimes to get back to the rhythm of normal life. Your mind, though, your mind has changed. You've been changed. You've seen the world of your own mortality up close. You've felt the anxiety of sitting in a waiting room for a doctor to tell you either the most relieving news or the most terrifying news. You look at your body in a way that you're scared of it. After last year, I've been able to identify some things I do now, still. That is from my trauma. During one of my com during one of the conversations I had with my oncologist, he mentioned how my overstressing was caused heavily by my fight with cancer as a child. He said it's 
It's sort of like this automatic reaction of turning my concern up multiple notches because of how extreme things ended up back then. It makes sense, honestly. We're we're all aware of we're all aware of how one day you can be fine and the next something can happen. Something that virtually at times has no precautions of avoiding it. It's just the uncertainty of life. And when you go through such a traumatic thing, it has a way of haunting you. So, if you're a survivor, listening to this, if you're a survivor and you feel sometimes you overreact or overworry, you're not alone and you're not being extra. In fact, if you're anything like me, you keep all that panic and stress and overthinking to yourself. I sometimes will say something about how I'm feeling. I start to feel myself get vulnerable and I start kind of unloading unintentionally. And it feels as if people think I'm just adding things to add them. And so I'll shut back off. From the outside looking in, I can understand how someone may think that, but honestly, it's just how I feel. It's hard. It's really hard sometimes. And I have to try and work myself down from making mountains out of molehills while simultaneously worrying about ignoring an actual mountain. Also, I gain this deeper sadness when I see others who have their lives affected by cancer. I've lost people I love very much to it. People I care about have lost people they love. I'm sure you have lost somebody you love to cancer. I mourn with you right now. Whether I find out somebody I know is diagnosed, somebody they know, or even celebrities and even on screen. One of my favorite shows of all time, Breaking Bad, watching Walt going through his diagnosis on screen. The way it was written and acted, it hit me deep. The song Skin by Rascal Flatts, that song touches my heart so firmly. Norm MacDonald passed away a couple months ago. He was battling cancer for nine years and the world had no idea. When I saw that, I cried. I cried hard for Norm. He's one of my favorite comics, but to know he was dealing with something like that. Acute leukemia, I believe it was for nine years in silence the strength of that man I feel like that was his way of taking power from it <clears throat> I could be wrong but besides him probably not wanting to be looked at differently I can't help but think that maybe him keeping it from the world was his way of showing it that it didn't control him he's very missed most of my life, I've not made it a big habit of talking about it too much. For the longest time, I only did when asked. With last year, though, it's become more comfortable to be open about it more. In sort of the opposite sense, I'm trying to find more control of the chains it placed me in. It made me... It made me want to keep silent, 
But now, in hopes of healing my own trauma and possibly helping others heal, I'm telling my story. It took some time to be able to say out loud to myself what last year was. As somebody who went through what society sees as a cancer patient, the chemo, the hair, the skin changing, the eyes, the IVs, the weakness, the weight loss, I felt like saying the words, I had cancer, would come across as an insensitive, would come across as insensitive for those who were going through all that, which I didn't even know I had, until after it was gone this time. It's a mental game. It really is. I'm thankful for all who are listening right now. But for those who feel what I'm saying. Who relate to what I'm saying. There is no guidebook. There is no shame. There is no approval. You have fought. You have pushed through and you are a survivor. You have the right to talk about what you've been through, even if you may think it's not worth telling. There will be somebody out there crying from relief because you did. I know from experience you will unchain somebody from their trauma. You will show them their fight was won for a reason. You'll show them that their current fight is worth fighting for. You will show them that a diagnosis doesn't mean it's over. It's not over until God himself touches your face and welcomes you home. As long as you're breathing, as long as your heart is beating, you have a chance. You have a life and that life is worth everything. By the grace of God, I've beaten the two bouts I was faced with. Am I scared of it coming back? I am. I had two separate types of cancer, 21 years apart, that were completely unrelated to each other. Maybe less, as I don't know how long the tumor last year was there, but still the type of cancer I had last year has a history of sometimes popping up in other places which is why I have CT scans and blood work every three months for a year now and if my appointment next month goes well which God willing it will that will go to every six months I am scared of something I have no idea will even happen something I have no way of controlling but I am confident. I trust God more than I fear anything on this earth. There's a reason I'm still here. There's a reason you're still here. No matter what your trauma is, whether you're a survivor, a current fighter, or you're struggling with something completely different that haunts you, you're here for a reason. You're listening to this for a reason. Be happy you're here. I'm happy you are. I don't know if you're proud of yourself, but I'm proud of you for being you.
for talking about you. Our demons can't keep us quiet. Not anymore. I hate what my family had to go through. I hate what I had to go through. But despite the trauma and the scars that stayed, it, it made me the person I am, all of it. It all made me the person I am. I am who I am today because of the love I felt and the horrors I've seen, the fears I've known and the relief I've found. Our journey makes us who we are. Making peace with the demon that hurt you will kill it quicker than holding on to it through anger. We're in this together. I honestly can't thank you enough for being here. Sticking through this entire episode and listening to me share my story, share my thoughts, and talk to you. This was a hard one to write. A hard one to record and get through it. But it was worth every bit of it. If there's even a small chance it can make a difference for somebody. I truly appreciate you being here and being with me. Next week will be insecurities and men's health. It's for everyone, not just men. We'll talk about insecurities we have as humans, how we deal with them, what may have caused them, and what might help overcome them. That will all tie into me going in depth with the hydrocele I was diagnosed with, and you'll see how it ties in when you listen. I pray the rest of your day is as wonderful as you are. This is the Shatter and Breathe Podcast. I am Sean, and until next time, be safe, be thankful. And God bless every single one of you.